Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs. I am a co-founder at Empty Set Entertainment. And I am Scott Sigler, New York Times best-selling novelist and the only one in this room who knows the power of the dark side. <laughs> and this is episode two of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. We are going to see Rogue One, a Star Wars story, Today, right away after this, right after this podcast, I know right I'm excited. Right. So, in celebration of what we hope will be a great flick today, our podcast is going to discuss the other new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens, and answer a pressing question: Is that the same movie as Star Wars: A New Hope, but with different characters? This idea came in from our friend PC Herring, writer, recently married guy, all around good cat. So, what say you, Scott Singler? I believe that they are the same movie. Hmm. Uh, before we begin the conversation, we also, I want to let you know, we also have another podcast on the same feed where we serialize one of Scott's audiobooks for free with new episodes every Sunday. Currently, we are podcasting Pandemic, book three in the Infected trilogy. What episode are we on, Scott? We are on episode 17 that will be coming up in the same feed on Sunday, which is not exactly the same as episode 16, but with new characters. Hmm. Yes. Excellent. So... Today, we're obviously talking about the similarities between Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. This podcast is about stories, so we're comparing stories here. That's our focus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Scott, tell me who wrote these stories. Well, uh, of course, the first one, Star Wars A New Hope, was written by George Lucas. He is the only credited screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Whereas The Force Awakens has a trio of pen-wielding ne'er-do-wells behind this movie they are Lawrence Kasdan who's the the heavy hitter here because absolutely if you don't know his name he is responsible for such tales as Dreamcatcher the Stephen King adaptation Star Wars Shadows of the Empire video game Wyatt Earp or mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies The Bodyguard he also wrote The Big Chill which makes him a fancy pants Star Wars episode six Return of the Jedi he wrote that screenplay he wrote the Raiders of the freaking Lost Ark and Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. So just monster, yeah, monster resume. I mean, just the if, if if you don't know Lawrence Kasdan and Kasdan spelled with a K, I would recommend if you're a movie buff, I would recommend you look him up. Just Google Lawrence Kasdan, and you'll see like, oh yeah, that's this movie, that's this movie, that's this movie. I love that movie. I love this movie. Like I uh, have a weakness for The Bodyguard. I think mm-hmm. it's such a pretty movie visually pretty and it's um the the script is super tight um but there are zillions he wrote zillions of movies he's a he is a huge part of everyone's childhood or adulthood or whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and i think it's important um that you take a look because there's might be things that you're missing or that you didn't know so he is a major major uh talent in the world of screenwriting he also is writing the untitled Han Solo stars, Star Wars anthology film, which should be interesting. That's in pre-production already. Helping him write Star Wars The Force Awakens is Michael Arndt, who's not quite as big of a name, but a pretty big name. He wrote The Hunger Games, Catching Fire screenplay. He also wrote Oblivion, which was a mm-hmm. pretty big movie. And the most tear-jerky of all the Toy Story movies. Toy Story 3. Well, I don't know. I think all the Toy Story (laughs) movies pretty tear-jerky. I (laughs) I do also like that phrase that you just coined, uh, uh, tear-jerky. Tear-jerky, Because that's that's, not only does it make you cry, but it makes you a little angry about it. uh, And Toy Story 3, of course, is the one, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, you go into that 
And uh, everybody's like, I'm not going to cry at that movie. It's a freaking anime movie. Everybody freaking cries at Toy Story 3. And he kicked off his career in 2006 with Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Oh, and that is another. You and I have this thing. And I'm. we're going to get to the Star Wars movies, yeah, we're guys. Into it. We're but into it. This is a story about stories. This is a podcast about stories. Uh, you and I have this thing where I'm a big movie buff. You're a big movie buff. And mm. we have a huge amount of overlap in our favorite our, our, we we did a top five list when we were still doing the Friday Fix, that kind of thing, where we have favorite movies, and there's absolutely overlap. But we have a distinction. I am an art house movie girl. I'm an everything movie girl. I watch good movies. I watch bad movies. I'll watch um, Plan Nine from Outer Space type movies. Mm-hmm. I'll watch I'll watch everything. Okay. I feel the same way, which makes me sound like I'm super impressed with myself. But I feel the same way about music. A lot of people say stuff like, "I don't. Uh, I, I love all music, all music, but I don't like rap and I don't like classical." Mm-hmm. And for me, it's easy for me just like if it's not the thing that I was in the mood to listen to, I, I it doesn't bother me. It doesn't need to turn it off. But I like most types of music. Same way I like most types of movies, too. We are. And if I can figure out what we're going to go see, I'll post it on the, the Story Smack page. We, we are going to see an art house movie in the we next will. few weeks. You were like, you pick the movie and you pay for lunch and I will go watch an art house movie with you. What does that have to do with Little Miss Sunshine? That was a breakout art house movie hit that that I think is important for cross genre, right? If okay. you're a person who thinks you don't like art house movies, uh, Little Miss Sunshine kind of got a lot bigger. It got Oscar nominated. It was a big deal, and it was very very funny. But it was absolutely an indie art house kind of. Yes. I mean, indie is a strange word, and we'll probably talk about that in a different version of this cast. But uh, art house for sure. That was a small movie that that made it really really big and kind of proves that the, that. You know, there's something for everybody in all types of movies. And that's fascinating. He kicks off with his art house movie. And who knows what struggles he went through to get to that point in his career. Probably a ton, like everybody oh, else. Probably, yeah. And now he's, now he's going from Little Miss Sunshine up to Toy Story 3, Oblivion, and now Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So uh, quite, quite a path this gentleman is paving for himself. And the third person responsible for A Force Awakens, of course, is J.J. Abrams. Yeah, Hercules, 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 Hercules. This man who needs no introduction at all is going to get a quick introduction. Fringe, Super 8, Lost, at least starting out on Lost, Mm -hmm. Alias, Star Trek, Trek, Felicity, Mission. he wrote Mission Impossible 3, he wrote Armageddon Mm -hmm. way back when, and regarding Henry and Forever Young. So he's what's so fascinating about that. Long time, and I don't know how much you guys know or you, Scott Sigler, know about like those early movies, um, uh, Forever Young versus uh, uh, Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon is epic and easy to watch and fun and wonderful and awful. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible, 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 terrible screenplay. It yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. That's not how the world works. Doesn't matter. Still awesome. Still, a, and the but science ton of money. Yeah, science doesn't make any sense. The relationships don't make any sense. Like none of it makes any sense. And yet, it's a great movie. Yes. Um, but uh, Forever Young, I believe that's the um, that's a Mel Gibson movie back in the day when Mel Gibson was still Mel Gibson. Um, and they're wildly different. Those two movies are, could not be more different. And I love that about J.J. Abrams because pulling him into the modern day, pulling him into 2016, some people are like, ah, you know, J.J. Abrams. Like there are some people who just, he's too big of a name and they're mm-hmm. too hipster to like it. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's a guy who has his pulse on, like I think he was a giant, if I had to guess, I'd say he was a giant movie fan. Oh, Sure. And yeah. a giant, and, and he has the pulse on many different fandoms, and I, I, 
I understand that not everything is a J.J. Abrams vehicle, but I do think he has the pulse of what people like to see and the amount of action versus tension versus subplot versus C story. Yes. I think he's really good at that. You can nickel and dime all many, many areas of his work, but clearly he keeps getting these gigs and keeps knocking these gigs out of the park. Mm-hmm. Home Slice has some stuff figured out. And I think that's true of all three of them. Yeah. That's, that's true of all three of them. So, ma'am, I think it's time for the official spoiler alert. Okay, this is your warning. It's every story smack, but this is your official spoiler alert. If you have not seen The Force Awakens, if you have not seen A New Hope, if you are the only one on the planet <laughs> who did not see A New Hope. That's the original Star Wars movie, the yeah. first one. And normally, I just give you the warning. I say, if you haven't seen it, stop now. Watch it. Come back. This time, I'm giving you a spoiler alert, which I just gave you, and Mm. I'm giving you a spoiler plea, which is if you haven't seen the first three Star Wars movies, and you're like, yeah, I don't really like sci-fi. Episode four, five, and six. Episode four, five, and six, like Mm. the chronologically first three, not the storyline first three. Uh, I'm making a spoiler plea. If you love storytelling, any sort of storytelling, watch those movies. And they're inspiring no matter how old you are. They're inspiring. If you don't think you like sci-fi, watch those movies. So I printed off two lists, ma'am. I searched for, I thought it would get a, a good springboard from where we could talk about these points. So I searched for, are, uh, is A New Hope and The Force Awakens the same movie? There are many, many, many lists comparing these two. Yeah. I printed off two. The first one is from Entertainment Weekly. It is called 18 Major Similarities Between Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and A New Hope, written by Kevin P. Sullivan. And we'll have the, uh, we'll have the links to that in and the show notes. And where did that come from? What's the blog? That is from Entertainment Weekly. Oh, sorry. You yeah. said that. My yes, apologies. That's all right. And the other one is called Star Wars. A New Hope and Star Wars, The Force Awakens are basically the same movie. From the ForTheWind.com site written by Luke Kerr-Denine. And again, we'll put both of those links in the show notes over at ScottSigler.com when you go to look for this episode. So I'd like to jump in before we actually talk about those similarities and point by point each one and ask you if that matters. Well, I, it, yes and no. Okay. It didn't matter. We saw it. We saw it together and mm-hmm. we went back the next day and we saw it again. <laughs> we did. And we absolutely friggin' loved it. But since this is a podcast about storytelling and pop culture, this is a very interesting topic that comes up a lot in various conversation. The ne'er-do-well is like, oh, it's just, they're just remaking the same damn movie. Okay, it was still friggin' awesome. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not saying that it can't that that both opinions can't exist. And I think they, for good reason, there are good, good, good reasons where people are like, yeah, but we could have done so much more. But I just wanted to bring that one little part up yeah. to say, is that inherently a bad thing? I think it does matter because I think that everyone was very excited that J.J. Abrams rekindled what Star Wars was all about sure. by giving us a very similar movie, Yeah, which is a, for a guy like that who can make anything he wants to, he now controls the two biggest science fiction franchise that have ever been. And he basically said, you know what? I'm not screwing with it. That worked. There's a reason everybody loves this. I want to tell that same kind of story. It matters because of this. If he keeps telling that story... That he's going to catch so much hell oh, if it comes out again. hundred percent. A hundred percent agree with you. I think that's exactly the crux of this. Before we talk about the point by point things, mm-hmm. just my my gut feeling. Um, I will say absolutely cop to, I don't give a hoot. Me personally. Not one darn hoot. Not one darn hoot. If it's a remake, if it's a 
shot by shot remake like they did with Psycho and Vince uh-huh. Vaughn. I think that was great. I understood going in. It was literally shot by shot, word for word remake of the original Psycho. Mm-hmm. And I find that there are great things about the remake and there are great things about the original. And those two don't always overlap. And that's fine. I also think I have a favorite among those two. And I think that that matters here, too. So even if the new, if A New Hope and The Force Awakens are similar movies, they're not the same. And J.J. Abrams took a chance, took no chances in one way. He just went like, all right, you know, and it's not his script, partially his script, but not entirely his script. So Mm -hmm. he sort of was like, I'm going to I'm going to take a chance and we're going to tell the same story because it's successful. And it's literally 40 years later. Like we can do that. It's a you know, I know we all have these great big opinions. It's a zillion years since they started writing the first one. That said, I also think he took a, took comfort in, like, I'm going to tell a story that rocks, and I'm going to change small things to make it different. It is, while there are similarities, which we will get into right now, there are also huge differences that matter. There are huge differences right. that matter. Right. So I analyzed these two lists, ma'am, and I, found, I thought I would kind of see the same list. I found things that were unique to each list. So mm-hmm. we're going to go over the... 27 points that are very similar, if not identical, between these two movies. Are you ready to go? I am ready to go. I want to also tell people, you may hear, there. we are at the Lair of Doom. The Lair of Doom is an open um, open floor plan warehouse space. Mm-hmm. And you may hear the dogs that belong to the upstairs office uh, barking. You may hear that. And uh, pe- feel free to grab a piece of paper and keep score at home. Because what we're going to do is we're going to go through these points. We don't know these bloggers. We haven't reviewed these blogs. We're going to see if what they're saying is, okay, that's 100% accurate, or okay, that's that's the same in every movie ever, or you're to- that's total bullshit. You were padding your column inches for your blog. And I'm totally also going to say whether or not I, I personally think it's relevant. Not that that should influence anybody else, but does that matter to me personally? I'm going to... Does it matter if they're the same thing? Okay. Right, right. Like, does this particular point think, I, do I think they could have done different? Could they do better, whatever? And right. I'm going to ask you the same question. All right. So first of all, uh, we're starting out with... Um, this is for, we'll start with the For the Win article because mm-hmm. it's a little bit more detailed. Sure. Number one, the bad guys start in control. In A New Hope, the audience is dropped into a world where the Empire is already established. We don't fully understand why when the movies open, but in both cases, the audience is dropped into a world where the Empire is already established as evil. In The Force Awakens, the First Order isn't technically in control, but they're about to be, and they're already seen as the most powerful force in the universe. So very similar kicking off points. Absolutely. And we're talking about universes, not Earth. Mm -hmm. But we see this. For me, yes, I agree that they're starting off points that are similar. I also agree that that's one billion movies. Maybe one billion is a a bit of an exaggeration, but that's District 9. That's Judge Dredd. There's zillions of them. That's Gattaca, for fuck's sake. It's a a bunch of movies. It's every YA novel. Absolutely. Yeah. So while that's true, I'm not so sure that that for me, makes any difference. Because it's got to be one way or the other. It's 50-50, as you always say, right? It either is or it isn't. (laughs) Well, when you start that nuclear reactor, it's either going to blow up the world or it isn't. That's 50-50 right there. I mean, those are some pretty shaky odds. So so do you think that is a valid point or not? Let's mark it as valid or not valid. Do you think it is valid? I think it's totally valid. I think it is true on its surface. V for Uh, valid. Yeah, I'm just, again, for me, perfectly valid, completely irrelevant. Number two. This one I don't agree with. Princess Leia is a key player in the rebellion. Princess Leia is introduced as a rebel spy, and 30 years later, after the fall of the Empire, she is once again returned to lead the resistance. It's an ongoing storyline. We want, I, for one, 
This is why I rage endlessly against the Spider-Man reboots. Please keep telling me the story, the continuing storyline of Spider-Man. Drop in new actors. That's cool. People get old. I understand that. But stop rebooting. And they didn't reboot. Here's Leah 40 years later. And you would assume, so first I'll say I totally agree with you about the idea of dropping in new actors and storylines. You don't have to have every single kernel of every single story Mm -hmm. in the first one because that's how visual storytelling works. We're talking about a different thing. But also, yeah, not only is it important that Leia is in the first one and she's in the first one as several different types, archetype characters. Mm -hmm. She's the love interest. She's the only hope. She's the all that damsel in distress. She's the absolutely exactly right. She's almost, I mean, she's not the final girl, but she's almost the final girl. Every time she's in danger, like when she's with Jabba, that's a problem that needs to be solved before the, before the storyline can continue. Those things are entirely different in the force awakens. And, you know, I'm, I, I don't mean to make this a platform for myself, but I'm not going to lie that she's a woman in power and she's not hot and in a chainmail bikini mm-hmm. and she's a fucking general. Yeah. Yes, I want more of that. I'm 45 years old and I can have that before I die. I can have powerful people in powerful, powerful positions regardless of their gender. Right, right. She's not just there. She got some big old titties. She actually got a brain. <laughs> exactly and <she's> right. Like... <laughs> she's there because she's... I mean, and don't get me wrong. I am not saying that shouldn't have happened. I'm not saying Slave Leia shouldn't have happened. Some people may think that. Right. I don't think that because that's humanity. That's how really how people work. And I like even in a fictional representation and a fantastic fantasy representation, I like that they look like us. Let's take a moment as we're discussing these, these lists and nitpicking J.J. Abrams' work, Mm -hmm. let's stop for a moment. He did not have to put these people in. He didn't have to put in Harrison Ford. He didn't have to put in Carrie Fisher. He didn't even have to put in Chewbacca, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. It was his choice to, or perhaps all three of the screeners together, but J.J. Abrams, he controls the franchise. He can, it's his choice. I mean, Lawrence Kasdan might have a pretty big bite there. Lawrence Kasdan can bring ideas to the table, but from what I have read and the people I've talked to, J.J. is in complete control of both the Star Wars and Star Trek franchises. Well, if he I'm wants take, it, it goes. Yeah, I'm going to take your word for that because I haven't read a lot. But I will also say this. Based on the type of movies he makes, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, I think he has to be an enormous, giant movie fan. Yeah. And would never be like, yeah, my way or the highway, Larry. I think, <laughs> he but wouldn't I think do that. it's clear to me from this movie, he was just as excited about seeing Han Solo and Chewbacca together yeah. as we were. He and was you know, just a fan. We're bit, we, I, I don't mean to say we're bitching because we're certainly not bitching, but, but you know, the internet at large is bitching about the similarities of these two things mm-hmm. because they exist as they do. Now, if, if uh, The Force Awakens had introduced an entirely new cast, as we've had happen, that has happened, if anybody remembers Jar Jar Binks, uh-huh. that has happened, uh-huh. we'd be bitching about something else We'd be entirely. bitching about that, too. And, yeah. you know, that's the way the internet works. You bitch about what you bitch about. Somebody is upset on the internet. Okay, so I'm calling that one bunk. Princess Leia is a key player in the rebellion. Yes. Well, it, again, it is technically true and totally irrelevant. I call bunk to that point because this is a continuing story, and for all the times we bitch about stop rebooting, just make continue the story, that is what he did. Mm-hmm. Point number three, there were Death Stars in both of them. I'm going to say valid, totally valid. Uh, 100%. I don't even need you to discuss it. It's totally true. Again, for me, this is three points in and, and uh, yes, totally true, totally irrelevant. No, no, totally true, 70% irrelevant. Like it is kind of like, really? Did you build? And right. here's my thing. The the new one, the whatever it's called, mm-hmm. is as far as I understand, Star Wars happens in my universe a long, long time ago. In a galaxy that's what far, they, far away, yeah. That's what they told me, but that's still my universe. And my universe doesn't fucking work that way. 
I'll actually link. There's a, a blogger. Her name is Min, Mindy Townsend. She's okay. a she's a, a physicist, or she's a physics major. Mm-hmm. Um, she's awesome. She's a lawyer slash physics major slash everything else. Get going for a PhD. She wrote the actual. She tried to figure out how to make that happen in The Force Awakens, how to make like drawing all the energy from one planet to destroy another planet without accretion, without without combining. It's beautiful because it's she's such a big fan. I bet that's a great read, but they already have artificial gravity and fashion light travel. So of come course, on. but my point is she's sort of saying if it's a if it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, mm. That information says it's in this universe. And if it's in this universe, how does that work? And it's totally an exercise in physics. It's gorgeous. And I'm, I'll link to put it that, in the Put show that notes. in the links, for sure. And, uh, and if you want to, if you're just picking this up in the feed and you don't want to go to the site, it's going to be scottsigler.com slash podcast slash Star Wars same movie. I'm just making that right. It's one word, Star Wars same movie. Okay. Okay. So uh, I have to say, though, from a storytelling perspective, We've had seven Star Wars movies. Three of them have had Death Stars, where the climax of the movie is the Death Star blowing up. I call bunk. No, wait, that's not bunk. That's valid. That's a good that's valid. That's valid, point. yeah. Oh, totally valid. Uh, number four, both Death Stars destroy big things. In uh, New Hope, it's Alderaan. In Force Awakens, it's the Hosnian star system. That's, yeah. It's exact. I think that's incredibly valid. It's exactly the same setup. Here's this massive thing that can blow up planets and kill billions and trillions of... It's the same thing. Yes. Now, I will also say there we, we're in a weird... Uh, I should have said this earlier on, but I think it's important to say you and I at in, in our 40s are in a weird um, space-time continuum of movie making, right? So as uh, computer power gets bigger and bigger and bigger, the more we can do with CGI, the better it looks, the more realistic it looks, the more it's worthwhile, right? This is, we went from TV to movies as a huge piece of our entertainment and the tech got better. Mm -hmm. And so part of, um, part of what is important to me is to note, yes, those are totally the same, but uh, Star Wars came out, the first Star Wars, which is number three, came out in 1977 and, there are a bunch of people I love who were not old enough to see it, including myself. I was six years old. I was I was a little too... I did see it, but I was a little too young to see it. That said, there's nothing wrong with telling a story that was giantly successful and and is a hero's quest. We've seen that one billion times. And I know that the pieces are similar, but I'm not so sure that matters because there are people... We've talked about this before where my nephews don't have the same hate for for uh, Star Wars 1, 2, and 3 that I do because they didn't see 4, 5, and 6 first. They saw 1, 2, and 3 first. And so the the fact that, yeah, there's a Death Star and, yeah, it destroys this a big thing, who cares? Okay, okay. So saying I care, I, I, but I'm old and they're young. That's my point. Like, I'm not saying I also care as a 45-year-old. I'm not so sure I would take that away. We'll discuss this for one quick moment. Let me get your take on this. There's... 85 trillion other things they could have done. There's all of these things that could be, of course it could be a master weapon that has to be circumvented in the end, the ticking bomb, whatever you want, anything you could possibly come up with, but to have exactly, exactly the same finale, exactly. And in three of the seven movies, it's the same damn thing. Oh, totally. You don't think they could have come up with something else that was awesome, wicked, cool, but not exactly the same thing. I 
100% do. And and I am not saying I think it's okay in general at large for everyone. Mm-hmm. This The point I am making is I am old enough in this golden age of movie making that that matters to me. But, but I'm 45 and there are zillions of people who are younger than me. And those people may, like, think about it. Have you seen Ben-Hur? Yes. Okay. Have you seen Bridge Over the River Kwai? Yes. And how do you feel about those? I love them. They're great. And how often do you bring those up at a cocktail party? As the same movie? No, or? no. Just in general, do you say, oh my God, I saw I, Ben-Hur. Have you seen Ben-Hur? Honestly, oh my God, it's amazing. I honestly cannot remember a single time in my adult life where I have gotten drunk and not mentioned a bridge over the River Kwai. I tell I, I, Okay, but I've been time. drunk with you at Dragon Con and that has never happened. So you're a big fat liar. <laughs> <laughs> But my point is this, Star Wars is a different animal in that it changed, uh, it, it, I don't mean to be going out on a big limb or anything, and I don't mean to be making a big statement, but it kind of created pop culture. Like, it's one of the formulations for pop culture, right? I'll go with that. It's one of the big things that that we all have in common. Like, how do you feel about Star Wars? Like, oh, I love Slave Leia, or oh, I hate Slave Leia, or oh, I love that there was, in 1977, there was this partnership that was not romantic that saved the fucking universe. Like, it matters, and therefore, that's, for me, that's unique. I'm not saying they couldn't have come up with something better. Don't get me wrong. I am saying I don't mind that my nephews get to, and my niece, who's 17, gets to latch onto something like cool. I did. Very cool. Well, that's, we're going with valid on that. But valid. we're just going to go with valid or bunk. You don't think it matters. I think it matters. But it's valid. It's valid. It's totally valid. Okay. And it does matter to me personally, but, but I'm willing to give context. up my own personal opinion for the benefit of the world at large. Point number five, which is directly related to point number four. Maybe it's the same point. He says, both Death Stars are destroyed. Technically, it's called a Star Killer base in the new movie, but let's be real. It's a fancy Death Star and it gets destroyed. We're going to go bunk? Mm -mm. No, because it's the same as the last point. What we've talked about, it's like it's exactly the same. So if it's the same as the last point, then it's a valid thing because the last point was valid too. Okay. I just think he's taking one point and splitting it into two. Well, he may be, but but we're going point by point, valid or not valid. I think for me, like I said, Valid doesn't matter to me, no, but still valid. <clears throat> now we're starting to get into the meat of things. Oh, guys, Moving. he he stacked his paper and licked his fingers. <laughs> Ma'am, point number six: the protagonists start out on a desert planet once again. Although it's the same, is it the same planet? Right. Luke is abandoned by his parents on the desert planet planet Tatooine. Ray is abandoned by her parents on the desert planet of Jakku. So the Every the bane of every scientist in the world, other than we give up artificial gravity, we give up fashion light travel. Everybody's like, planets don't have one ecosystem. That's not the way life supporting plants work. But in Star Wars, ice planet, desert planet, that's jungle planet. That's all it is. So this is where we start to get into some granular shit here. Yeah, they both start out with characters abandoned by their planet parents on a desert planet. Yes, totally valid. Again. It's hard for me to talk about this because they are unique movies and they're 40 years apart. And there are some people, including most people on Earth, who don't get to have super formulated, well-formed opinions because they're not the comic book nerd by the, from The Simpsons, who wait 40 years for another movie and then bitch about all the similarities. The Most people on the planet don't have that. So do I give a shit is it valid? Totally. A hundred percent. Okay. Do I give a shit about whether or not they're both desert planets? Not so much, because here's the reason. I what has been established in this movie making world 
is that desert planets exist. Mm-hmm. So do I want them to spend 25 years saying now it's like an avatar-like planet where people link, where the, the sentient creatures link tails and then glow? No, I don't give a shit about that. I want the backstory. Like, yes, desert planet. She has to fend for himself. She's quite creative. She finds BB-8. Go. I don't care. I think it's valid. And I think that it does. It does matter. Because it's another, Fair. it's another, we're talking about tipping the hat to the original, but lack of originality when copying the original, there's something to be said and there's something to be said for, we're going to take every, every safe decision in this whole thing, uh, except for the casting of the lead, is they're just copying the original. It could have been any kind of plan. It could be anything different. It could have been, but they have to, yeah, I'm not disagreeing that you don't like it, or I'm not saying that you should like it. Mm. Uh, I am. I would never disagree about your opinion. Goddamn right. Saying, <laughs> Goddamn saying, right. I'm saying, I don't care that you don't, I mean, I get that you, why you don't like it. What for me though is, okay, so would you have felt better if they somehow strong armed in there, we found a way to terraform Mars. So it's still pretty desolate, but it has an atmosphere. And no, it, could, on Mars? it could be anything. It could be, you know, the great, the great plains planet. It could be the water planet. There's any number could of things. It could be the Velt. could planet. be the Velt. It could be the Velt. It could be the Tundra. It, there's any number of things they could have done where it's okay. So we're copying so many things from the original. Let's swap out this thing that doesn't mean anything is completely irrelevant to the story because we can use any environment we want, but we're still going to use the original. And it's one. interesting to me that you just said your own words doesn't mean anything, doesn't matter to the story, completely irrelevant, and you're PO'd about it. I'm not P. Well, I'm a little bit PO'd about it because Which is it seems you- it seems from a storytelling perspective it seems. Uh, a little bit lazy. I know we're remake, and now it's becoming more clear as we go through this list, point by point, how much of a remake this actually is. And when you've got the people making the movie defending, saying it's not a remake, but it's clearly a remake. Just, and they might as well have used the same fucking sets. It's just, I didn't even do anything. No, and I don't think so. So for me, I agree that it's a remake, but here's what's happening to me: they're creating a dynasty. They're creating a dynasty that matters. A they're dynasty creating of a- sand. They're creating a dynasty of Skywalkers is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And and th- and people who matter, who want to save the universe from itself, that's what they're doing. And if that looks the same, if that's the great white hope, if Rey becomes the great white hope, I don't care because that she grew up on a desert planet because it makes me feel comfy and warm in my belly. Side note, side note, ma'am, is Sir. all of this desert planet stuff a tip of the hat to Frank Herbert's Dune? Because only in the desert are the true warriors born. The harshest environment creates the strongest people. Well, yes. I think yes, but I think that was true with A New Hope. No, I think I, that I, was I'm true with, you, yeah. with, the, with the Sarlacc and whatever. I think that's always been true, and I think it matters. And I think in... In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.
Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Uh, notwithstanding George Lucas's A New Hope or uh, Frank Herbert. That is also actually true. There are zillions of movies that uh, have that, not including Ishtar, that <laughs> show there's show that desert, and, and you've been there. Like, we drive to Vegas every year for Sigler Fest as a tiny aside. Sigler Fest, you should come. It's always good uh, times. Good Columbus times. Day weekend in Las Vegas. We do a lot of celebrating of Scott's work and, and drink a lot of beer and mm-hmm. bowl. But um, every time we drive through, we talk about like, okay, so do we have water in the car? Do we have this in the car? Because we're driving through the Mojave Desert for an hour. Mm-hmm. So if we're prepared to understand that in October... In the United States, driving through a desert could be death-defying for us if, if the car breaks down, if something goes wrong, mm-hmm. and we need help because there's no connectivity and all that other stuff. Right. Yeah, deserts are harsh. So if it's a harsh envi- environment that is the crucible that needs to, to, to sort of bear this great hope, I'm in. I don't care. All right, so fine. So the desert point has been made. I have my stance. You have yours. Now, ma'am. I'm afraid we're going to get to something where you may not be able to vote because you are emotionally compromised on this point. I'm almost sure that's completely untrue. We are, I am. Do I have a personal or yeah. physical oh, yes. investment? You have an absolute personal investment in this. Personal, in either one of these movies. Ma'am, we know that you are somewhat of a fan of the droid known as BB-8. Oh, Okay, that's totally true. <laughs> totally true. Totally true. <laughs> yes. I probably am not recusing myself, but I will take that's it under the, consideration. That's the word I was looking for. Point number seven. Cute droid given something important to deliver. Leah helps R2-D2 escape with a message intended for Obi-Wan. Poe helps BB-8 escape with the missing piece of a map to Luke Skywalker. Yes. And this is, I love that you're tapping the papers on the desk as like a, come on, come at me. (laughs) I'm going to say completely valid. And I'm going out on a limb. Not a limb at all. Completely necessary. Okay. Because BB-8 is the access point. And and BB-8 and R2-D2. R2 especially, obviously C-3PO is a foil for for, uh, R2. Right. And so he's not soft and cuddly. And R2 isn't really soft and cuddly either, except in his personality. And BB-8 and R2-D2 have similar um, comic relief qualities. They're, uh, I think that C-3PO and R2-D2 are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. They are the classic foils against each other okay. that are comedic. Okay. BB-8 doesn't have that. He has a, a little bit with... Uh, not with Poe, uh, with Finn, mm-hmm. but um, he 
a little, and a little with Ray too. But mostly he's sassy on his own, uh, like the whole thumbs up and lighter and all that stuff. Right. Um, I think it's totally necessary. And that is there just like R2-D2 was to catch the people who think they don't like sci-fi. To catch the people who think this is, since it's fantasy, it's not a real story. Since it's science fiction, it doesn't matter. Since it's, since it's inaccessible. And they're coming with their wife or their kids or their dog or whoever desperately wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. That's the way, because they're human. As much as they're not human, they don't look human, they don't behave human, the, they don't the move droids. human. You're talking the, about the droids. The droids uh-huh. are our human comic relief. Okay. They, they act like we act when we look for the jester. So the, 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 the main topic of this podcast, that they are the same movie. Valid? Oh, valid, for sure. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Although I do think it's impossible to choose between BB-8 and R2-D2. Oh, my God. Well, I, t- I got to tell you, they crushed it with BB-8. The first time I saw the BB-8 sketches or whatever online, I'm like, I was like, I literally sagged in my chair. I'm like, oh, my God, you guys have the, the, the entire world... And worlds unimagined are your palette to tell a new story related to this. Are you seriously going to hit us with another fucking cutesy wootsy droid? And then Can I the- guess? Yeah, what? And then it was a practical effect that moved like it moved. Yeah, that, yeah, that was me too. It's and so I'm like, great. I'm like, and then I'm like, wait a minute, that thing actually moves like that? Oh fuck, this is awesome. I gotta see. It. They crushed it. They just that was oh, me. BB-8. No, I don't care. I don't care how the same people who think they won't cry at the end of Toy Story three. Yeah, you like BB-8. You like BB-8. Number eight, I'm going to go ahead and prejudge number eight as a bunk point because... I'm pouring more wine while you read it. Gotcha. Uh, because the, it's he's, again, splitting hairs and telling the same point twice. Number eight, protagonist encounter cute droid on desert planet. I'm calling that bunk because he's already said that in a couple of different oh, ways. Oh, I see what you were doing before. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you for sure. Point nine, however, is not bunk, in my opinion. Another example of how this is the same movie. Number nine. Cute droids almost sold off. Ray almost gives in to temptation in the new movie. R2-D2 kind of falls into Luke's lap at a scrapyard in the old one. It's exactly the same thing. Do you think? Yeah, it's a it's a point, point plus A or point plus B kind of thing. It's a half step. Like okay. it's, it's 8A or 8B. It's not really its own thing. Because the point is to show the cute droid, put the droid in jeopardy, then have the human character immediately develop a pet-like affinity to the droid and then keep the droid from being taken away. I wonder if we compared District, if on purpose we compared District 9 to Judge Dredd, either uh-huh. Judge Dredd, or compared the two Judge, oh, I guess that's unfair, even though they're not they're not remakes. No. Um, if we compared them to each other, or Judge Dredd to District 9, if we could find 27 similarities. Well, we, I bet we effing could. Oh, we sure could. We could compare Judge Dredd to The Raid. Yeah, exactly. Which is, have you seen The Raid? I have. The Raid's balls out so good. And Judge Dredd, balls out so good. Yeah. So good. I like love, 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 love Dredd so much. Okay, so cute Dredd's almost out. That's valid. But yeah, and a lot of this, okay, if we were comparing two different sci-fi, point here, point here, ma'am, nerd fight, let's go. If this was another science fiction movie, not called Star Wars, everyone would be screaming bloody murder about how this movie ripped off Star Wars. Change the names of all the characters. It's a desert planet, and there's cutesy robots, and they get rescued by the girl who's been abandoned by her parents, right? right? Am I right? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's exactly the point I was making before, where, like, you, you who can't, like, we care, and I care, too. I want a different movie. I want to be, I want the story to go on. I want to be entertained. At the same time, if we're not crab-assing about this, we'll be crab-assing about something else. Pretty That's much. just the way Pretty we much. are, because there's the internet. 
Point number 10. Not sure I agree with this one. Let's go. Uh, well, you'll be our impartial third-party observer. Hmm. Number 10, the existence of the Jedi is unclear. People know about them in both movies, but those who do are few and far between. I have now changed my mind. I've completely changed my mind. I think that is incredibly valid, and here's why. Because within the lifetime of Han and Leah, we have gone from the Jedi saving the friggin' universe to no one remembering the Jedi. One generation. One. I'm not sure that they don't remember the Jedi. I'm going to argue this point a little bit. Okay. Not remembering the Jedi and the Jedi not mattering for what's happening and the motivating of the troops and the activating of the troops and trying to kill the Starkiller base. I don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't think that those th- two things are, matter. Just because Leia is a Jedi doesn't mm. mean she doesn't have a day job. And her day job can align with her morals in general and should. And so her morals say she has to defeat the dark side. Her job says she has to, she has to uh, deactivate the Starkiller base. Those two things are not incongruent. They're, they're fine and she has a great job because it agrees with her moral stance. Okay. Uh, also, uh, I, you know, I think, nin, you know, National Ninja Day was last week or two weeks ago or something. I'm not really clear, but it's sometime at the end of the year. How many ninjas did you and say? You have no idea. The but answer you know, is you have no idea. However, so, if you ask me what a ninja is, I know what a fucking ninja is. And did anybody ask, please tell me what a Jedi is? No, they treated the Jedi as if they were this mythical thing that didn't really exist, I think. But we don't know how big this universe is. And we don't know the level of communication. While you can travel ships faster than light, we don't have information travels faster than light. There's a lot of things you could work in point-wise. But I I think it's a, it's a giant stretch that in one generation, just one, people are like, I'm not sure Jedi actually exist or something. I mean, well, I, nobody said that though. You are saying the absence of a Jedi storyline uh-huh. means the general populace in that galaxy far, far away simply does not believe they exist. Like, I don't believe a unicorn actually exists, and a unicorn can help us win whatever whatever battles we'll go into at in the same time. Your mom didn't ride an actual real unicorn. Again, you are assuming the fact that they didn't mention it means they don't believe. I don't know. I don't and know. I am saying. Whether or not Jedis uh, exist or matter, here's what we know. Jedis work small um, uh, small radius, right? They have to be. It's my understanding that the Force works by having to be uh, close to the thing they're trying to move, right? If not, Darth Vader could have cut off Luke's hand halfway across the galaxy okay all right all right we gotta we gotta we cannot we can no longer belabor this point ma'am which is fine i'm just saying i'm not sure that matters that's i'm okay. saying that doesn't bunk. matter it's we're both saying it's valid it's not bunk it's valid I'm, number 11 yeah. old dudes keep myth of the jedi alive it's unclear if the jedi are real at the start of both movies but obi-wan and han solo each come to reassure the youngs luke and ray respectively that they are in fact real valid okay. sure that's the way the, the world works. It's also kind of the same point. Yeah. Also, that's the way the whole world works. The but at the same dudes. time, when my dad sends me, uh, you know, Trump articles in all caps, I'm like, okay, that's an, that, that's an old dude telling me stuff. I'm not sure it's actually real or not. No, but they're not saying that. The old dudes are saying, keeping that dream alive. And I do think that that's, and, and I'm saying dudes not as, 
as actual uh, gender identity men. I'm saying old people. Old peeps. Old people keep the oral history alive. That's okay. their job. Okay. Uh, this one, number 12, I think is pretty gosh darn valid. The Jedi Masters are missing. No one is really sure where Yoda and Luke are throughout the two respective movies, but we know that they're both missing and not training anyone. 100%. No, 75, 66% valid? bunk. But wait, what? Because you know what we know? What? We know if we get the fucking map, we know exactly where he is. And guess what? It turns out if we get the map, we know exactly where but to we go. Know, we know that um, Yoda's on, is it Aldrin? The, I don't but know. we don't know where, He's but we eventually find him, right? So that is the, I think it's a, I, I think it's part of the hero's quest and I think it's bunk. Do I think they're not training anyone? Yes. For different reasons, they're not training anyone. And that's also fine with me. So I'll give it 66% we'll go, total we'll, bunk. We'll go bunk on it only because you're absolutely right. Uh, he was able to find Yoda, no problem. And, well, and the whole point of going to find Luke is I got to get that one little piece of the map. And if I get that one little piece of the map, I can go find him. And guess what she does? She gets the map, everything lights up, and she goes and gets him. So we know exactly yes. where he is. Yes. We just don't have all the info. So we know exactly where he is, but we don't have all the info. Okay, great. Uh, number, so that's bunk. Number 13. Protagonist looks for Jedi Master to get trained. Luke slash Ray are raw and untrained in both movies and need the help of Yoda slash Luke to help them harness their use of the Force. I think that's bunk. In Star Wars, did Yoda even come up as other than like a one-line mention? This is Star Wars to The Force Awakens, not Star Wars Return of the Jedi Empire Strikes Back to The Force Awakens. Yeah, but she's not looking for Yoda. She's looking for Luke. No, no. That, no my point is, in Star Wars, if Yoda is mentioned at all, it's a one-line throwaway. In The Force Awakens, the whole point of the movie is to find Luke. Oh, I see. Yeah, you. For, technically speaking, I think that you're right, and that's bunk. Bunk. But I also think this, uh, in general, which is, again, like, if people want to be outraged that they're the same movie and they deserve something else so they could bitch about the else, mm-hmm. and that's not how the original was, and that's not how it happened with Yoda. <laughs> like, if the if the Lupi Nyong'o character with the goggles and the weird face, I forget what her name is, in The Force Awakens, the one who runs the bar, Max or May or something. Well, yeah. Um, if she was the Jedi Master, really, would nobody have bitched about a girl Jedi Master? Would nobody have bitched about a shopkeeper Jedi Master? Would nobody have bitched about an alien Jedi Master, even though even though Yoda is an alien? I think you'd bitch about something. I, we're, we're, made, we're, we're, we're clear we would bitch about something. Yeah. But we're actually intentionally bitching about these two movies compared to each other. So... <sighs> I mean, I'm just not this angry at life in general, so I will continue with you, but I sort of feel like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true, but who cares? All right, so moving on to point number 14. Well, wait, no, no, back up to this one, because I have a question. True. Doesn't Highlander go to get trained? Doesn't Buffy go to get trained? Doesn't everybody go do that? I'm with you. I'm saying this is a bunk point, because it's inaccurate. The comparison of the two movies, it's inaccurate. Ray is not looking to go get trained in this movie, and neither is Luke in Star Wars. They're in Star Wars, in the in in the Empire Strikes Back, yes. In Return of the Jedi, that all all that's well. In Empire Strikes Back, yes, that all matters. So that, I'm saying just a bunk point. Yeah, we, let, we both agree this punk point is bunk. Sure, let it go. All right, ma'am. Now move on to point fourteen, which is absolutely the most important point. Go that on. Anyone listening to this podcast is going to hear about any topic ever today. Period. Flat out. Does it have anything to do with you? Because. I feel like that's important if it's the most important point. The second most important point. Thank you. Because anyway, just listening to me, obviously, is being blessed by this podcast. My point, right exactly. Now. So uh, 
Ready number 14? Yep. Both bad guys wear masks. I say completely valid. I say completely valid. Copy. Sir. Yes. Totally true. <laughs> completely valid. I will. I, I, I feel obligated to say that it is a frequent common trope. Oh. That the bad guy is some, his, his, not only just the bad guy, but mostly bad guy, good guy, whatever. When they are doing something they are having to secret, they wear a mask. It happens all the time. So Vader and Kylo Ren need to keep it secret? They are keeping, well, they're not exactly yeah, they're keeping, keeping it secret. They're keeping it on the down keeping, low. Well, Kylo Ren is, is absolutely garnering strength from his persona. For sure. He is, and because he is trying to divest himself of Ben, he is trying to let go of the Ben, you know which what? was the good side. You know what? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to change my mind. I'm doing a full 180. What? This point is, I had a V for valid. It's bunk. Why? I, I will tell you why. Because we never see the face of Darth Vader, not till the very last movie. We, until, <gasps> we You're never, totally right. We never see the face of Vader. And Vader is the personification of evil and is only at the end where he randomly picks a dude up and throws it. It's only after he's redeemed himself do we see his face. When I tell you what, I didn't think about this. When Kylo Ren takes off the mask and I'm like, he's just a kid. I was like, I, it surprised me because yeah. you expect, let's be honest, it's Star Wars and everybody's valid except English white dudes. English white dudes are always the bad guy. Why? Why are English white dudes always the bad guy? It's not the point. The point is, English white dudes are always the bad guy. Kylo Ren takes off the mask. It's just a kid with luscious hair. Let's be honest. I mean, awesome That's hair. some luscious, luscious hair. You and I hair. both covet that hair. Covet. So, uh, yeah. And then, then it was in, 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 it was so much easier to get into his internal turmoil and quickly identify with the fact that, okay, yeah, he has, which is coming up, uh, our next point, I'll go ahead and spoil it. He's been turned to the dark side. He's so young. He's so impressionable. He's not in control of his powers yet. It's him taking off. It's, if it starts out with him looking like that, you would already have a different take on him. But you start out with him in the mask, and then when he takes off the mask, that's the contrast that makes that character. Right, and I'll add this. I... I actually am going to stay with that it's kind of a bunk point okay. because the way that you take away someone's humanity is you take away someone's humanity. And that can happen in a million ways. You can make them a nondescript slave in the background, like in The Little Mermaid when um, when uh, uh, Ursula has a whole bunch of souls trapped. They're just, they don't look like themselves. They're just souls. Mm -hmm. And when they get released, they... They become personalities. They have suits. They have dresses. They have hats. They have whatever. They have voices. Uh, in th With this comparison, the only way you make them not human so we don't sympathize with them, we the viewer don't sympathize right. with them, is we make them non-human. Humanoid, but non-human. And so we, I will say it's kind of, even though you're saying that it's bunk, I will say it's kind of valid. They are absolutely masked, and that's absolutely necessary. All right, we have to split. We have to go half bunk, half valid. I have to say, tip of the hat to you, Mr. Kasdan, because that's, that's great. Mm -hmm. They actually play on the trope of Vader, make them look exactly the same, then let you peek behind the curtain and see this tortured young kid way early in the movie. And I love that. That specific thing, I think, is the magic. So I think the magic, the, the, one of the things about Star Wars that is so magical is, is when Star Wars came into our consciousness as a pop culture. Mm. That's a huge, huge part of it. It is the benchmark. That said, I think one of the pieces of magic is Darth Vader, you know, he's finally revealed and he's tiny and old and sad and heartbroken. Good point. Yeah. And 
Kylo Ren is not. He's beautiful and strong and has luscious head lettuce and yeah. is in his vitality, right? He's 20-something. And yet is incredibly vulnerable. I now like the movie more. I, actually, I love I it. I actually have genuinely just seen a point that I didn't see before and I like the movie more. It's why everyone should watch movies they like more than once. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. All right, so we're going to start rolling through these now. Sure. Uh, point 15, both guy, both bad guys have been turned to the dark side. It's more subtle in A New Hope than it is in The Force Awakens, but both Darth Vader and Kylo Ren are described at various points as having been seduced by the dark side. Neither of them are characterized as out-and-out evil as, say, Emperor Palpatine. 100% agree, 100% valid. valid, and is the whole way the world works. Point 16. Both bad guys kill important old dudes. Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan toward the end of his respective movie. Kylo Ren does the same to Han Solo in The Force Awakens. That's valid. That's the same plot line. It's totally valid. I can't even talk more about it because I cannot bear the thought that Han is gone. Yeah, it's pretty bad. 17. Both, death, both deaths happen in the Death Star. Uh, I don't know. It's the major, it's the primary setting. It's close to the climax. I think that's nitpicking. Well, I say bunk. Yeah. And I'll agree with you that it's nitpicking. Uh, and I agree that it's bunk because it, it technically can happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that in a zillion different pop culture things. What matters is that it happens. I do think that it's especially more difficult that Kylo, that Ben kills Han. Yeah. That that's it's, harder. It's harsher, and that there'll be some uh, some action in yeah. the act section for that one. Point number eighteen: sketchy bars act as important meeting points. We first meet Han Solo in Mos Eisley's cantina, and in Tokodana, Ray and Fan are given Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. I will say valid. Uh, I will valid. say valid because it was as a fan, it was freaking difficult to watch that scene. You're really like... Oh, I didn't have that problem. Because, and, and this is a point coming on the next list, uh, there's a bar with many crazy creatures and it's a seedy bar with many crazy creatures. I'm like, watching, you're like, come on, you guys. I'm like, seriously, you're going to remake that, that exact same scene in the same setting? In the oh, same- interesting. Yeah. No, no, I totally agree with you right now when we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I And I've seen The Force Awakens more than once, and of course I've seen the new Ho- A New Hope more than once. Mm-hmm. Um I would not have agreed with you before right now, but technically that is a valid point. That is absolutely true. I think the journey they're on when they're in the bar are quite different. Uh, at Mo Eisley's, everybody is an outsider and right. they are behaving as outsiders. That isn't true in The, in the Force Awakens. Right. They go because they feel safe and are called. And there's a special reason that they go to, to get Luke's um, saber handle. Um, and that it calls to Ray because it calls to Ray. Uh, I think all of that stuff. It calls to Ray. And this, maybe I'm not remembering the movie right. It calls to Ray, but Luke, or I'm sorry, Han and Chewie just sort of wander there. Did they know the saber was there? Did they know Ray needed the saber? Because it no, seems no, no. so coincidental. Uh, so what happens is uh, Han goes there because he knows she's safe. He knows that bar is a safe, open place to get what he needs. So it's coincidence? I think it's coincidence. And I don't know how many coincidences there are, but I do know this. There are not so many that I'm like, fucking really, another one? You know, like (laughs) I haven't been there. But I think it's true that they do go to shady bars. I'm also going to say I love that because it's the one it's the good thing about Star Wars is the major characters that are minor characters by which I mean like Jabba the Hutt or Boba mm-hmm. Fett or whatever they're major right. but they're still not the the main marquee players 
uh, it gives us a chance to see people who are non-humanoid and and different, and it gives it a, a it gives us a flavor of the universe as it exists in Star Wars. And so for me, totally valid, and I appreciate it. All right, all right. So now we're moving on to the second list, and in all fairness to Entertainment Weekly, uh, we've already covered a lot of these points. So you're just going to do the unique ones, just right? doing the unique yeah. ones. But this, uh, it, I liked the the first article we covered has more more detail and more thought out design better. The second one's just like, boom, here's a bunch of points. Sure. But the second one has more deep and accurate points. For example, there's a desert settlement that is wiped out by stormtroopers. Right on, I mean, right on the money. Uh, totally. Okay. Absolutely right on the money. Valid? I, I feel it is interesting because I think what part of what they're doing is they're looking at history that everybody accepts as true. And they are... Uh, they are uh, sort of saying, sure, this also happens off world. So there's a little bit of that, right? Like we have a, we as Americans, you and I are Americans. Uh-huh. It's not just Americans, but you and I as Americans have a history which says like, sure, the much more powerful, much more technologically advanced people come in and they slaughter everyone Stomp there. the shit out of the village. So that they can establish their new world order. So is that a worldwide historical trope in a movie trope? Or is it actually one movie copying the other? Because if it's it's not one movie copying the other, I think we got to go bunk. Yes. It's hard (laughs) to say because I honestly think that that is a thing that we, you and I, you and I personally have not had occasion to see personally in our lives. Not to say that it hasn't happened in the 40-something years we've been alive, but we haven't encountered it in a large-scale way. That said, I think that that is such a common human condition. Yeah, I gotta bunk. I gotta bunk it. So that's kind of I'm like going, a... That feels good to us. It feels reality to us, even yeah. though it's bunk. Yeah. Yeah. It feels it feels reality. So I gotta, I gotta go to bunk. Um, number four, and I couldn't figure this one out in my head, but maybe you can help. There is a hero who's tortured by the bad guys to retrieve the information. So was that the guy in the village that got tortured to get the information, which he didn't give up? And who was it in Star Wars, A New Hope, that got tortured? I don't know. Is it Finn? Who's, I can't. It's no, Poe. It's Poe. No, not Poe. Poe got away. Finn's a stormtrooper. It's the, the, the Gravitas. The, God, the fuck is that character's name? The, the, famous, the famous actor. who was, Daniel Craig. No, the old guy in the village in the beginning of the movie. Oh, uh, 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 Max, Max von, von Sydow. Sydow. Yeah. Max von Sydow. Is that the guy who gets tortured? I mean, it could be, but it could also be when Kylo Ren is circling Daniel Craig, right? It's Daniel Craig who gets that um, on the Star Killer base, is the, and it's an uncredited camera, right? right? That's the one who's torturing Ray. Or going to torture Ray. Gray overpowers oh, is it Daniel that way? Craig. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I got that. So Ray up. gets tortured for information too. Sure. I don't know. I'm just. You know what? I'm not even getting this a valid or bunk. I'm going to say I don't understand what the guy's talking about because I don't remember it that well. So we'll let it go. Now this one, uh, we'll see. This there is a lonely, four-strong desert dweller who dreams of more. So it's going back to it's this lonely. But it's not just that it's a person in a desert. It's it's the one. The one in the desert, lonely, dreaming of bigger things. I think that's valid. Yeah, it's exactly. I think it's valid, but I think it's like the problem here is it seems like the argument at large is 
you already told this story, tell us something else, which I think yeah. is a valid argument. As in how much cooler would it have been if Ray was more of a of a Buffy Summers type character who's got a pretty cool life and then all of a sudden like, yeah, sorry, Broad, you're the one. You're you're getting roped into this intergalactic warfare because you're the one who's strong with the force. Like something different. Yeah, but something different, I still think, because there's a part of me that feels like that's exactly what happened to Ray. She was fine. She was scavenging and doing okay for herself. She was good when she was marketing, like when she was selling her wares that she had scavenged. She was smart. She made an okay. She had food. She made an okay. I'm not saying that she, she lived a She had that dope lux- bread. I want that bread, dude. I want that bread, too. That she didn't sweet. live a luxurious life, but she, at this moment in the storyline, before we go see Rogue One in just a little while... She doesn't want a luxurious life. That's not what she's after. That's not her goal. She wants a a life well-lived still, I think. And so, yes, I think that's true, technically true, but I think we all, you know... It's common. It's common universal thing. We all yeah, feel it's like a little you bit said, lonely. Like, like, it's kind of a trope sort of thing. Like okay. we all feel like we come in out of the cold or come in out of the desert or come in out of the 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 languishing when we find a thing that doesn't that that doesn't uh, argue against our cognitive dissonance so much or whatever, and I think that that's what happens to Ray. And technically, she comes in out of a desert. Shit, dog, you're getting deep on this. You're like, this is like Steinbeck all up in this shit here. I mean, it's not like Steinbeck. It's like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next one. We got one, two, three, four, five more. Here we go. This one's good. There's a criminal element that's owed a debt by Han Solo and attempts to kill him after he screws up their arrangement. Yes. Yes. That's like. Totally true and totally awesome. It's almost like that one. That's like flypaper. It's almost like Abrams and the crew is like, we got it. We got it. We got to show him being a cad and trying to talk his way out of stuff when he scams somebody. Like they couldn't let him go. 100% precisely right. I couldn't agree more. They want to see him rakish and lovely. Rakish. That's what I was looking for. Uh, And then we've already talked about this. There's a cantina filled with alien creatures. Yes. Here's this one. The hero watches helplessly from afar as the surrogate father figure is slayed. I mean, that's, there's no question. No question. Same, same. Oh, both with lightsabers, by the way. That is the more important point. Yeah. The fact that they, that, that somebody has to go it alone without their guiding light happens at a, you know, 10,000 times a day. Every fucking movie, yeah. Every story, every book, every movie, every TV show, it happens all the time. It happens in Bloodsport with Jean-Claude Van Damme for crying out loud. Exactly. The issue at large here, the issue here is that it's a lightsaber and a one-on-one battle. Mono a mono. Okay, here we got two left, three left. Two left and I wrote one in. (laughs) (laughs) There's a coordinated aerial attack on the massive spherical weapon that's monitored from a control room by Leia. Yes. At some point, let's put that chick in the cockpit and let's get at it. She's got the force, right? What yes. the hell did Luke have? He, he, he had the force too. He sh- I know, but he, sh- he shot swamp rats. He never trained in a friggin' X-Wing. Whatever. So, uh, yeah, he was, you know, talk about, well, I won't get into that. I'm going to say, yes, thing. that's valid. And also, yes, that's Two points valid. left, two points left. And we'll finish this up. It's a very long podcast, you guys. Uh, also on second glass of wine. So it's starting to run a little bit long. There's a massive explosion that gives the Rebels a major victory, but likely allows the Force-sensitive, masked, and darkly clothed antagonist to survive to fight another day. (laughs) Yes, there is always that crux of the moment, right? So I know know I'm sort of sounding like a broken record. I think that's totally true, and I think it's totally necessary, but I also think it is not unique to the Star Wars galaxy 
And we need that. We need a moment that looks and feels and smells. If we're, if we are going to forego all of the weirdness, like, oh, this is an AI droid or, oh, they're faster than light travel or, oh, they are literally battling shit that would have taken, you know, we can't get to Mars that fast, but they got there in two, two minutes Mm -hmm. screen time. If we're giving away all of that, some of the things that feel comfortable to us have to come back. And that is the bad guy getting away for a sequel? That feels comfortable? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's several things. It's a bad guy getting away for the sequel. It's the moment of truth where you have to decide what your humanity is, not whether or not you want to win or lose. Win Mm. or lose matters until the one moment where you win or you lose. And in that one moment, you sort of, as a character, not as a human, we do this and see it in retrospect. Was that right or wrong? Did we win or lose, and was that good or bad? Well, we, they, they win, clearly. What they're saying is these two villains who look almost exactly alike, when the Death Star blows up in both movies, and do they get away in both movies? And of course they get away in both, and of course they get away in both movies, right? They're saying it's exactly the same setup for the sequel. Absolutely, and that is precisely the same. Okay, precisely the same. Final point, ma'am. This is your own point. This is my own point I'm bringing up. Oh, Lord. It's a two-point point. Oh, it's an A and B. It's an A and B. Point one, Nazis. What? Nazis. All of these movies, all of these movies, the bad guy, they, other than having a swastika on the uniform, everybody on Starkiller Base, I'm not counting the stormtroopers, they're their own little creature, and I'm, I'm with them for that creation. All of the major guys, like they're all the, the, the black leather coat and the raked hat. It's the Nazi over oh. and over again. This is the easiest visual representation a director or costume designer can apply, which is who are the bad guys? They're the ones who look like the Nazis. It's a bunch of white dudes in black leather and black cloth with a peaked hat. And so they can't make it entirely on this point B. It can't make it entirely on the nose. They don't talk with a German accent. They all talk with a British accent. Like, that's the setup. Guys who look like Nazis in a British accent. You can see it in multiple movies. Interesting. I have not ever thought about that. But off the cuff, I will say, potentially true and valid. And also potentially the reason you think they look like Nazis is that's what Nazis in TV and movies look like to you. I'm more talking about the costuming than the all, all white boys, but the costuming. I know, but the British Empire could have looked just like that. The they had those snazzy thing. red coats, like all kinds of cool stuff going on. So what you're saying is that's what that feels like to you, and I'm. I guess what I'm saying is I have no idea, but I also wonder what the uh, British Empire may I'm have looked like. Literally, I'm. I'm gesticulating the name, smacking my forehead, ladies and gentlemen, home. The big speech at the end of the Star Killer base when Weasley is telling <laughs> when Ron you Weasley... You weren't supposed to go there. I mean, it's true, but you weren't supposed to go there. I'm not saying Ron Weasley did a bad job. He was an awesome bad guy. It's freaking Ron Weasley. What if... Not, it's not Weasley. It's the, the twins. It's not the Ron. Twi- who are the twins it's boys? It's one of the twins. It's one yeah. of the twins. But what look, if, wait. Yeah. And I want to hear your point, and okay. then we'll go back to this. Okay. What if that really is a Weasley? <laughs> I mean, that fucks with every that's, every that's head cannon we know. So much more going on than but we anyway, possibly imagine. But anyway, when Weasley... We've got the Weasley kid. You know, mm-hmm. one of the twins, one of the tall Weasleys. One we of got, the older Weasleys. We got the Weasleys. He's dressed up. It's Nazi uniform. It's just missing a swastika. That's all it's missing. What's it's interesting to me here. Always, that's not me looking at it. That's not my impression of what Nazis are. It's a friggin' Nazi officer uniform. I mean, yes, but there is the idea that functionality is functionality, right? So any troops 
who are invading troops uh-huh. have the same need for the same kind of protection. And so a British Empire prote- uh, force invading or anybody else, us, Serbians, whoever, they're going to be uh, somewhat similar because we're all human. Right, are all going to be dressed in black with high top boots and a little I mean, pink te- hat. I mean, technically, you're sort of saying that, but I think if I compared an actual SS uniform to Weasley's uniform in The Force Awakens, it may or may not be. They they certainly will have echoes for sure. I totally agree with you, but I wonder if part of that isn't right. It's a broad stroke representation. It's also we're all human. They are human too. And they need to look like this. You know what? Let's. Uh, I will find examples. We'll put that up over at scottsigler.com. and uh, you guys should go there and look look for this because, and there's because now there's many different examples that could be used. They could look like, they could look like Cossacks. They could look like General Schwarzkopf and just the straight, you know, uh, the camouflage uniform that's almost almost identical to that of the enlisted man's uniform. There's so many other options. They could look. They could have, you know, the the red. They could be redcoats. The British Empire. Uh, there's so many options you can have, and as far as military uniforms go, while they're sort of similar, there's a lot of variety. I think that uh, we the the tall Weasley kid, I think his uniform is straight on Nazi. I will find visual proof, put it on our well, website. Well, but that's also cherry picking. If you find, I mean, we need to see every single Nazi, you know, or something. Like I bet we should both do that. I'll show you the side by side comparison. You show me the side by side comparison. Because my point is this. It's totally, your point is totally valid. And that's a broad stroke, easy way to say these are bad guys. Mm-hmm. But Schwarzkopf never killed people just for fun. No, and, and now keep in mind, the vast majority of the, the, the Nazi military officers, they were patriotic dudes. They were doing their thing. You can find, of course, history is always written by the victors. And the victors are always the good guys. And had the Nazis won, we'd have a different perspective sure. on things. But the general, the visual cues that identify evil are strongly associated with the uniforms of the higher ranking Nazi officials. So let's narrow it down to not, I'm not going to go with Nazi, uh, you know, foot soldiers, special forces, tank commanders. I'm going to go with like upper tier generals, everybody, Hitler and below, no, below Hitler, below Hitler. He had his own, he had his own so it's interesting because I think you're probably totally right, but I also think that in 1977, if George Lucas was looking for one broad stroke, mm-hmm. Is, is is this bad? Yeah, it, it looks like that. I know, and it's e- that's it's easy. It's so that's not the same thing picking. you said earlier in this podcast, where you're like, "Sure, Leia is now a general. Of course she is. It's an ongoing story. Mm-hmm. Why would they change that? Because isn't it a new government? Didn't they crush the empire? Or is the this new group formed from the ashes? I guess you're right. That's a good point. If it's formed from the ashes of the empire, they're going to be nostalgic about their glory days and want to bring those those elements back and not only that they want to invoke that same feeling in people who see them so i think that the new uniforms and and i'll admit that i am a little fuzzy on this but i think that the new uniforms are a little slicker a little sharper a little leatherier okay (laughs) but the original uniforms are not all that far afield from from what would represent a a, a ss like sort of government i guess i just you see it so much in v for vendetta starship troopers any number of, you know, sci-fi movies when you want to show something that you're supposed to be like, whoa, this could go, this, everybody's happy now, sort of, but this is going to go south and all the people are going to be subjugated. Go with a Nazi uniform. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, at least something that invokes a Nazi uniform. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, because otherwise they're going to have to tell you instead of show you. Ma'am, uh, our movie is coming up very soon. Rogue One, a Star Wars yes. story. Yes. So I'll say this. I think that your lists are totally uh, on balance, are mostly accurate. If you want to draw these sort of specious things together, sure. I feel like I should do a, po- a just a post, uh-huh. a comparison blog post, where I compared you know, in uh, District 9 to Independence Day. Uh, you know, f- fuck a blog post. Let's do it on this. Let's okay, take, let's do it on this. Let's take, you want to do, uh, what, was, what was it again? Well, we could do Independence Day or or District 9 or Dread. You like, pick right now. You pick, you know, oh, do we open it up? Should we let people vote? No, let's just pick. Let's, let's pick. just pick. Not Dread, because don't touch my Dread. That's my right, jam. Well, let's That's do Independence jam. Day versus District 9. Independence Good guys Day versus District 9. At some future podcast, we will take two random sci-fi movies. Independence Day and District 9, and we'll compare them and see how much they line up so that mm-hmm. we can be neckbeardy internet dudes in our mom's basement. I mean, you know I can't grow, grow, uh, grow a beard. Right? I can grow, I will grow a neckbeard for this particular podcast. I so mean, it'll be itchy and I'll be irritable. Neither one of us can do that, so we'll just f- assume fake beards. And we'll post pictures Let's, of us and our fake beards. I'm going to finish up the score right now. V's for valid. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 Vs, 18 valid points. Out of 27. These are the same movie. Because you forced me to say, but what you're saying is they are similar. You're not saying whether or not that's relevant. Correct. Okay, so I'll agree. Are they similar? Sure. 18 out of 27, sure. Five, six, seven, eight. And our math doesn't quite add up, but that's okay because we got exactly. some splits. So we got 18 bunks. So out of these two articles, and again, you guys can go to scottsegler.com, find the links to these articles, and you can see for yourself we have 18 valid points and eight points that we thought were bunk. Mm. Uh, yeah. And overwhelmingly, I think that the, the, the premise for me, I'm not sure how relevant the premise is because it's whether or not I want to see the movie and I can't imagine missing. We should go see The Force Awakens again. Can we see it in theater still? We should get it on DVD. So I think... I think you, the point you've just made is we want to see the movie again. And we're totally going to see Rogue One in about 20 minutes. Yeah. So The Force Awakens and A New Hope, I think both of those movies, for me personally, are worth re- re-watching, even though I've seen both of them more than twice. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that actually matters. That's okay. the thing that actually matters to me. That said, I agree with your bunkedness or not. So I think that is our show that for this it. week. Yes. If any of you guys who are still listening at this very long podcast have questions for Scott or for me, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode of Story Smack, just like PC Herring, sent us a note to info at emptyset.com, I-N-F-O at emptyset.com. And we may or may not talk about it. We've gotten a handful of great suggestions. I'm a giant Doctor Who fan, and several of you have recommended that we watch some Doctor Who, which... I think we'll kill Scott Sigler, but we'll maybe consider that. You can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I'm a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. And you can find us 
this podcast online at scottsigler.com slash storiesmack. We'd love to see your comments there as well. Find us on iTunes, search for Scott Sigler Audiobooks. You'll get everything that we do. Uh, subscribe, and you'll get a free episode every Sunday of a full unabridged audiobook and a big hit of Story Smack on Fridays. So come back for the next episode, and we'll all talk some smack. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.